ShareCare is the leading online health and wellness engagement platform, providing millions of consumers with a personal, results-oriented experience by connecting them to the most qualified health resources and programs they need to improve their health. It's time now for ShareCare Radio on RadioMD.com. Here's your host, Dr. Daria. Hi, welcome back. It's Dr. Daria here. I know how tough it can be to keep on top of all the health news. So every month I team up with CNN's chief health correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Now, of course, he's also the author of multiple New York Times bestselling books. He's a practicing neurosurgeon and most importantly to me as a mom of a daughter, he's the dad of two daughters as well. Sanjay, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And you know what? I got, I got to point out it's three daughters, Daria. Three daughters. Three. Yeah, oh my we goodness. Don't, the little one feels ignored sometimes. So I want to make sure I throw that, <laughs> throw that in there. <laughs> yes, very important. Always have all three. And I imagine I have two younger brothers. And I know two boys sometimes felt like I had five brothers with the amount of noise they gave. It's probably the same for three girls. It's additive, the way they multiply is in terms of noise and yeah. fun. Yeah, no, right. And exponential, maybe even with my third, because she, yes. uh, she definitely, uh, holds her own with her two older sisters. <laughs> well, you got to when you're the third. You got to speak up. Yeah. Spe- speaking of speaking up, you recently moderated a panel with President Obama here in Atlanta. And I want to tell everybody about that. I want to let all of our listeners know. Tell us more about the discussion. I know it was for the National Prescription Drug Abuse and Heroin Summit. Yeah, you know, it really, um, it was it was a big pretty big event that revolved around this existing summit that has been uh really looking at this issue of of opioids mm-hmm. in our country for for quite some time and um the the president has become increasingly engaged on this issue and you know I think as we're hearing more and more about it uh we did a documentary mm-hmm. on this several years ago mm-hmm. um i think there've been now some some ideas uh potential plans to try and make a difference uh, you and I've talked about this before. I, yes. I think a lot of people have now heard, but but opioids, which are you know pain pills like oxycontin, oxycodone, mm-hmm. um, hydrocodone, as well as heroin, are all considered opioids. And and someone dies of an accidental overdose of one of these substances every 19 minutes in this country. So that that was really the issue that he was that was the headline, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, on what this issue is all about. And he wanted to come talk about it uh, and and talk about what can be done. Mm-hmm. Which is great because you're right. We have been talking about this epidemic for years and we need to, it, it sounds like we're starting to get some interventions to try to make some headway here. So, you know, talk yeah. about how th- these overdoses have continued to increase. We saw this spike in 2010 and what we learned from the panel. Well, I think what we learned from the panel is that uh, when it comes to um, these painkillers, uh, there is still, it seems to be a disconnect, I think, in many ways between prescribing habits and just how deadly these things can be. Mm-hmm. We've, we've made some progress, but, you, you know, when we talk about the, just talk about the prescription pain pills for a second, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the, again, the hydrocodones, oxycodones, oxycontins, mm-hmm. those types of things. We prescribe 80% of the world's pain medications in, in this country. In the United States, we are five percent of the world's population. Mm-hmm. We take eighty percent of the world's pain pills. So we, you know, we we don't have that much. We don't have eighty percent of the world's pain, and yet we are taking these in a way that uh, is obviously much higher than the rest of the world. And we're paying the price for it, mm-hmm. literally, with people dying of overdoses. So yeah. that that is that is a, a huge disconnect. Having said that, I think that. Um, the, 
everybody from the physicians to various other providers are increasingly aware of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are looking at different ways to treat pain, and they're also looking at very specific things. For example, a medication I know you know, uh, Daria, about uh, that essentially can uh, reverse the effects of an overdose. A medication mm-hmm. called Narcan. Yeah, and you got a guy. Something we use in the, in the ER. Using the ER, and mm-hmm. the, you know the the big question has become. If this is something that can um, reverse an overdose, should we make this more widely available? Should it be more widely available in paramedics' bags? Should people be able to get a prescription for it and keep it within their homes? All that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Uh, many people believe, um, including President Obama, who's who's proposed new new money for this, you know, more money than is already being spent. He wants to make available to buy more of this Narcan. He believes it's something that can save lives. There are people who who are critics of this sort of plan saying, look, you're just providing a safety net for someone who may be a heroin addict. Now they think, oh, I got a safety net. I can, um, I'm, mm. you know, more likely to continue using. It's complicated, but the yeah. president was very clear that he thinks making, for example, that drug more available is a good idea. Interesting. I, you know, I, there there are two sides to that. It's kind of, but is it kind of like saying, well, you shouldn't have a seatbelt because if you know you have a seatbelt, you may drive more recklessly. Right. Exactly. When it comes to these sort of the 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 evaluation of risk and and interventions like this, it, it comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. Another example was uh, needle exchange programs. Mm-hmm. They said, well, we want to do needle exchange programs for drug addicts because at least we can decrease the amount of infectious disease. Mm-hmm. People are using dirty needles uh, and transmitting disease that way. Uh, critics again would say, "What well, you giving giving clean yeah. needles now to addicts? Is that is that the right message?" Again, these are not easy questions. Mm-hmm. But with regard to heroin and Narcan, um, President Obama uh, told me that we we need more uh, more of this Narcan available, and he says the data sort of speaks for itself in terms of saving lives. Well, it's very interesting, and it. I think you make two points there. One is it's true. If somebody takes too much heroin or too much of an of oxycodone or anything, they're not awake enough to give themselves a Narcan. So the messaging right. has to be there that you can't just take what you think you need and then think, oh, I took too much. It's by then that, it's going to be too late. That, but, that's absolutely right. There's, and so and also as part of getting this, you you do get educated a bit mm-hmm. in terms of what can happen. I mean, it's amazing. There are people who still don't realize who take pain pills, for example. They don't realize that if they mix those pain pills with alcohol or they mix those pain pills mm-hmm. with other drugs, uh, sleeping medications, anti-anxiety medications, you are starting to create an increasingly uh, lethal dose. So mm-hmm. as much as you and I talk about it, and you, I'm sure, tell your patients in the emergency room about it, they, the, many patients don't know if you provide mm-hmm. this Narcan and talk about it, it does start that discussion. Wait, why do I need this Narcan? Right. I could stop breathing? Huh. Okay. Yeah. So, and then how is it given? You know, all, all the whole discussion around it. Yes, it's so true. And you're right. It's having that discussion because a lot of people hear, oh, overdoses, that, that's not me. That's maybe some drug abuse, some drug addict on the street. That's not me. And it's always important to note that what we're seeing with these uh, opioid overdoses is across all spectrums of the demographics. It really, it really is, and, and I think I, you can look at some of the CDC stats. But I think some of the fastest-growing demographics are women. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many uh, new uh, heroin addicts that start off using pain pills that are living in, you know, yeah. affluent neighborhoods. Uh, again, 
believing that they would never get addicted to pain pills. They were never going to be that person. Mm-hmm. So it does cut across uh, many different demographics. And, and you know, it, the, the, the numbers have gone up, you know, Pretty, pretty considerably over the last several years. I think there's been a nearly 300% increase in heroin overdose deaths uh, just over the last few years. So this is, you know, this is something we are facing right now as a country. Mm-hmm. It's very true. I'm so glad we're talking about this. Now, we, so we talked about your three daughters. I have a daughter. We are parents. And so, of course, you can't hear these things without thinking, you know, what about my child? How do I keep my child safe? I know that one of the individuals in the panel had said he became addicted to drugs at the age of eight. Tell us about him. That was that was striking. I think you know. I mean, everyone's I think mouth was a bit ajar. Uh, and this is a this is a guy who who who's very well spoken. He came out the other side of a very early and very profound addiction, eight years old. I mean, yeah. started taking pills out of his parents' medicine cabinet and, um, and, uh, you know, just was graduating himself to increasingly more powerful drugs and, you know, was, was an addict to several different substances and alcohol. I, I, you know, what is the message there? I mean, you know, some of that is a subjective, some of that's an objective question. Certainly you hear the very obvious things you want to keep your medications uh you know in a place that's safe and controlled you know that your mm-hmm. kids can't get to i think i think any parent knows that mm-hmm. i think even if you know that maybe you're not always that diligent about it be diligent mm-hmm. about that if mm-hmm. you just stick it in a medicine cabinet and think it's okay kids can get to that stuff and yes. and uh you know as you get older kids can open childproof bottling you know all, all mm-hmm. of that sort of stuff mm-hmm. what i think really struck me about this this individual was i said why what was going on at eight years old that you thought you, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, there's sometimes it's hard to get to that answer, but there's often an answer to that question, the why. Yes. And him, it was, you know, he had, he had something that was just missing in his life. He had a, he had, you, you would have, you'd be hard pressed to put a label on it, depression, anxiety. He described it as a big hole in his life. And you think as an eight year old, I mean, how do you even have the wherewithal, the maturity to sort of think like that? And, mm-hmm. and yet kids do. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, mm-hmm. it's a conversation, you know, uh, drug use is part of how that can manifest, but, but it can manifest in all sorts of different ways. Mm-hmm. We pay attention to the obvious ones. Kids' grades have suffered or a kid doesn't have friends in school or something that's really obvious, mm-hmm. but it can manifest in all sorts of different ways. For this person, it was drug use, and it was mm-hmm. drug use that kept leading to more and more drug use. It's, it, yeah, you're right. It can manifest in so many different ways, which is what makes it hard for parents you know are there any other kind of telltale signs you know looking back was there anything that he said that his his parents could have done to have intervened early on his, you know, it's funny. His mother was there uh, in the audience, and you know, and he's still a young guy. He's in his early twenties, mm-hmm. so there was you could still, you know, there's still that relationship, and mm-hmm. and you know, there was no there was no blaming going right. on. Right? No, in that hindsight. Hindsight's even I, more than twenty twenty. Of course. Yeah, I think I think I think one of the things that he made a point of, and and everyone, of course, was really focused on the fact that he was only eight years old when he started this, but he made an important point, I thought, and that is that. Regardless of the age, many, many parents uh, at least seem or sincerely completely blindsided mm-hmm. when they first hear about their kids, teenagers, you know, uh, maybe maybe even slightly older, early 20s, uh, being people who use drugs, maybe or even drug addicts. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of, of these course. parents are sincerely blindsided. What? 
no way, not my yeah. kid. Went to Can't a good school, it. I did all mm-hmm. the right things. It's somebody else's kid that's not my kid. And again, what I'm saying is not not earth shattering, but again, as a parent myself, now you as a parent, when when you hear, boy, you know, the, the parents were completely blindsided. You think, mm-hmm. wasn't there a clue? Wasn't there a message? Wasn't there some sign? And what I heard over and over again on this panel with the president was that oftentimes there's not. Mm-hmm. There really isn't. And and that's not just being politically correct in terms of saying we don't want to blame people. There really wasn't any signs that the parents mm-hmm. could have identified early on. So that means the message being that you, the, the, the communication has to be constantly there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. not that you're asking your kid, are you a drug addict every day? But you are having conversations where that might come out because the signs just are not going to be clear in many, many cases. That's so true. So it's, I think, the, like you said, it's being open to know that this can happen in anybody, whether you know, we just had a segment on cyberbullying. So, again, being, yeah. uh, being open and really being, as a parent, actively pursuing and inquiring about the signs and symptoms of any of these things or, or drug abuse. And, you know, if your child shows you any signs, being open to helping them. Too. Yeah, uh, you know, I took my three daughters to this event. Um, uh, you know, it's it was my daughters are eleven, nine, and seven, so it's kind of a high. You know, there was a lot of words that they didn't understand, and it was a you know it was a pretty sophisticated panel. But yes. I will tell you, even my daughters took something away from that. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, and again, the, that boy was eight years old, Daddy, when he started using drugs. Yeah. We would never do that. You know, they say all the right things, and and it was great to have that discussion. But mm-hmm. on the walk. Uh, away from the event, we were just walking through town, and we ended up talking about it for a good 15, 20 minutes, which was great, because mm-hmm. the conversation we've never had, we right. should have, and we'll probably continue to have now as a result of that. Wonderful. So I guess the other takeaway is that it's never too early to talk to your kids about this. Yeah, I, that's, that's right. You think, you know, again, I and I don't want for one minute to suggest this 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 gentlemen, you know, starting to use drugs at age eight is, is obviously a very unusual, thankfully, situation. But yeah, I mean, you know, you, parents have know their kids best and, and mm-hmm. figuring out how to broach that topic, uh, I think is, is important. And again, I, I, I'm not a parenting expert. I'm a dad. And, <laughs> and so I've been doing this a little while, but I, mm-hmm. I, I'm learning things constantly. And that's one mm-hmm. of the things I learned is that you figure out how you want to do it and then mm-hmm. do it. You know, figure out the yeah. right language, figure out the right place the right time, all of that, and then and then have the conversation. Yes, and just do it. Not worry about if it's the perfect way either. I think that's parenting. All of us, are, we're learning as we go. You know a little bit more. You have three. I have one. But you're, we're all learning as we go, which I think is important to remember. Absolutely, absolutely. And they're all different too. All, you know, my three kids, I'm sure yours are too. It's just they're, they're all different kids. So. Yeah, it would be really helpful if they each came with a pamphlet of how to address <laughs> each of them. But maybe you can write that. I was asking for that when we left the hospital. They, they never gave me that that that, you know, that that manual of how to raise the kid. Healthcare in the United States this day, these days, no pamphlets with babies. I can't believe it. <laughs> right, that's coming. Maybe, maybe soon. Perfect. I'll expect to see it from you, Sanjay. Sanjay, I want to switch to a, another topic really quickly. Switching from this, uh, you know, our nation's opioid and narcotic epidemic yeah. to, to another one, to cancer, and yeah. some, uh, you know. Cancer is not an uplifting subject, but there has been some really exciting innovations and news in this area recently. There has. I, you know, the, the, the buzzword that, that people are talking about, and many of your listeners have heard, is immunotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, immunotherapy is something that has um, uh, still early in many ways. There are some FDA-approved medications, but it's showing some some 
really incredible promise mm -hmm. in a percentage of patients. So what, what immunotherapy basically is, mm -hmm. is, is figuring out how to use your own immune system to fight cancer. Mm -hmm. Your immune system is constantly fighting cancer. It's doing it right now. Since you and I have been talking, both of our mm -hmm. immune systems probably attacked a few mutant cells, maybe warded off a few viruses and bacteria. Mm -hmm. It's constantly at work. It's busy. But what, they've, what they have found is certain cancers go in there and basically turn that immune system off for them so the mm -hmm. cancer doesn't get recognized or it hides itself from the immune system somehow. Mm -hmm. So these drugs mm -hmm. basically turn the immune system back on say, hey, you know, you cells, you cancer cells, you've got to behave yourself, you've got to, you know, mm -hmm. you, get, you can be susceptible to the immune system, be mm -hmm. attacked by the immune system like any other potential yeah. cell, foreign cell out there. That's yeah. what the immune therapy is doing. And what they find for certain cancers, for example, melanoma, mm -hmm. about 30 to 40% of patients with melanoma who have metastatic melanoma who are responders to these medications. Wow. It's a terrible disease. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an awful prognosis. It's wonderful. It's an, yeah, and so, you know, and the, the example that a lot of people are giving now, and I think it's a very fair one, is President Jimmy Carter, mm -hmm. 91 years old, metastatic melanoma to his brain. And he, he, you know, at the end of last year, he's building houses in Memphis. He's on these therapies, and he's, he's not only doing well, he's active. And if you were to scan his body, you'd probably still see evidence of his cancer. But it seems to be sort of coexisting, if you will, with his body. It sort of mm -hmm. turned his cancer into more of a chronic disease than a constantly growing, aggressive, you know, tumor. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, Again, it doesn't work in everybody. That's mm -hmm. part of the big research, figure out who it works for. Yeah. Uh, and if, for the people who it doesn't work for, is there a way to get them to respond? But again, very promising. That's awesome. It, it's amazing to hear about the technological capacity we have for healthcare. We're so lucky. I want to finish our last one minute. Talk about the the cancer moonshot with them from the White House and what's going on there. Well, you know, this, this, a lot of this came about, as you probably know, from Senator, I'm sorry, uh, Vice President Joe Biden's son, mm -hmm. uh, Bo Biden, mm -hmm. who died of a, a, a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the State of the Union, President Obama talked about a cancer moonshot and put Vice President Biden in charge of that. Um, so there's all sorts of things happening in this regard. One of the things, uh, one of the events I attended uh, last week, I helped moderate last week, at, not necessarily part of the White House initiative, but an example of what's happening in cancer was a, a initiative by Sean Parker, mm -hmm. who a lot of people may remember as the former president of Facebook, the founder of Napster, Napster. Mm -hmm. who says, we're going to put in, he is going to put in, I should say, $250 million towards creating an institute, uh, the Sean Parker Institute, which oversees six different cancer centers around the country mm -hmm. and helps get them all working on the same page. You're all, awesome. you're all basically trying to achieve the same things. Stop siloing off your research. Mm -hmm. Stop siloing off your development, your, your intellectual properties. Let's put it all together so we can accelerate some of these you know, some of these things Changes. more quickly. That's, that's, that's good to care for this. That's wonderful. Sanjay, that's a very great promising note to end on. And then that's a cancer moonshot. Of course, everyone follow Dr. Sanjay Gupta at Dr. Sanjay Gupta on Twitter and Facebook is Sanjay Gupta MD. Of course, always tweet me your questions and follow us here at ShareCare Inc. Thanks for listening to ShareCare Radio on Radio MD. Check us out on iTunes and stay well. <laughs> Oh, <laughs>